John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. I'm going, to, I'm going to do the impossible, and I'm going to preach this in two sermons. We're going to divide it up. If, uh, if we were doing a Sunday night series, if we did Sunday night study times, I'd take weeks to go through this. Plumbing the depths of this passage is, is beyond description. In, in the book of Revelation, we've seen chapter 1 where John introduces the book and talks about where he was and talks about his initial vision of Jesus. Jesus gives him the basic command to write these seven letters that we found in chapters 2 and 3. And then here in chapter 4, the vision begins in earnest. The, the bulk of the book of Revelation has to do with the judgment that will come upon the earth during the seven years of tribulation yet to come. And it's absolutely stunning to me that that announcement of, of judgment and the holiness of God being exercised on the earth doesn't begin with a picture of sin. It doesn't begin with the earth. It doesn't begin with a human experience of evil. It begins with God in heaven on the throne. I do want to make a, a, a point about this passage and about the, really the section that runs now from, from chapter 4, verse 1, uh, through the first several verses of chapter 22. These are visions. John is not physically taken to heaven. He is in the Spirit. 
John is physically still on the island of Patmos. He is in the realm of the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is governing what he sees and experiences so that he can write exactly what the Lord wants him to write. This is not a dream that John then interpreted and wrote an interpretation. The Lord gave John exactly what he needed to see and hear so that he could write accurately what the Lord wanted to reveal. There are biblical precedents for visions like this. John is not the first one to have this kind of a vision. Uh, We can go all the way back to Abraham and then Moses, Jacob, uh, Joshua, Samson's parents, David and his companions, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Peter, James, and John during the transfiguration see a, a vision of Jesus in his glorified state. Saul on the road to Damascus when he is still the rabbi pursuing and persecuting the church experiences something of a vision. The, the most familiar is going to be Isaiah's vision in Isaiah 6, uh, of which holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty is taken. The second half of that, who was and who is to come here, is, is different in, than in Isaiah 6. You would think I'd have that memorized, wouldn't you? It's only one sentence. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So a comparable scene in heaven. If you look at the events that, that were experienced by John here, by Abraham, by Isaac, by uh, all of the others who have these things, there, there are some common points that we need to remember. Um, one is that those experiencing these events are always terrified at the beginning. Even John says in chapter 1, verse 17, when I saw him who was speaking after this description of Jesus, he says, I fell at his feet as though dead. John doesn't fall at his feet as though dead now because the vision's already begun. That's already taken place. The holiest men that we see in Scripture are not very holy. There's only one holy man in Scripture, and that's the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus alone would have had no fear at the full revelation of God the Father, at the full revelation of of these things. Another commonality is each of these visions stands out as a significant event within salvation history, sometimes being worked out on on a more temporary plane like the birth of Samson, but often as with Abraham and with Moses being part of the main line of what God is doing from beginning to end. That being said, these are not visions that have to do with personal decisions, personal comfort. You never see anybody in Scripture that I'm aware of pursuing a vision like this. It doesn't happen. There's only one person I know of, and if if you know of anybody else, please tell me. I, I don't quite know how to search for this. The only person I know of in Scripture who went looking for something like this was King Saul of Israel. He went to a medium because... God would not speak to him any longer through the prophets. And so Saul went to a medium and he commanded her to bring up Samuel from the dead. He gave her assurances that she would be okay. When Samuel actually came up, she was utterly terrified because he was not the demonic spirit she worked with to deceive people and tell their fortunes. And Saul, as a result of that sin and others in his life, lost the kingdom for himself and his family. 
Pursuing visions like this is a dangerous thing to do. It sets us up for deception. It's through the word of God that the spirit of God gives us comfort, peace, wisdom, and understanding. So while there are biblical precedents for these things taking place, there aren't biblical precedents for every Christian and every person of God having these. If by some means the Lord gives you clarity, gives you understanding, prompts you in a certain way, we would call that conviction. Conviction is not simply conviction of sin. The word conviction means persuasion. When the Holy Spirit persuades you to pray a certain way regarding a certain person, that's a miraculous work of the Spirit. But it's not revelation. It's not Scripture. John says in the first verses, After this I looked, and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. Doors are important. Doors hide, obviously. Jesus says when you pray, go into your prayer closet and shut the door and hide. Pray in secret. We see in the the parable of the the ten virgins, five uh, wise virgins prepared for the wedding feast. Five foolish virgins didn't prepare for the wedding feast. The sense there is not how do you get ready for a wedding. The sense there is what do we do with the gospel? Those who are wise take the gospel seriously. Those who are foolish hear the gospel and don't take it seriously. And all of a sudden, there's the call for the wedding feast. There's the call of the end of life. Those who are wise have already believed. They're ready and they go in. Those who are foolish, and there will be many, who heard the gospel over and over and over again but never trusted, will stand there at the door and the door will be barred and shut. And they won't be allowed in because hearing the gospel doesn't save anybody. Well, just as a closed door is a barrier, an open door is kind of an invitation. And it's a picture of the invitation and the command given to John. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Uh, Come up here is repeated in Revelation 11.12 after the two witnesses are raised from the dead by the Lord and then caught up to heaven. John hears a voice like a trumpet. Revelation has hundreds of quotations and allusions uh, to the Old Testament, and this is certainly one. Uh, Exodus 19 says that when Moses was getting ready to receive the law, when the Lord was getting ready to give the law to Moses, all the people spent three days in fasting, and on the third day there was a sound of a trumpet that grew louder and louder, and Moses spoke, and the Lord answered him in thunder. And then Moses went up on the mount to receive the law. We see that taking place here with John. As John is caught up, he is given revelation that could not be had any other way. And this revelation, this vision comes with a promise. Jesus says, I will show you what must take place after this. That word must is important. It must take place. It certainly will take place. But it must take place because this is what God has designed from the very beginning. Before anything ever took place in creation, the Lord had already seen all the way through this this process. The the voice of the Lord Jesus says to John, these things must take place. They can't not happen. Every once in a while, uh, I'll I'll hear about somebody saying, um, claiming some kind of a prophetic gift This happened just a couple of months ago. We must do this. We must take these steps to slow down the return of the Lord. 
so that we can save more people. What Christian in their right mind would want to slow down the Lord's return? He's really smart. He knows when to come back. I'm ready for him any time. I don't know about you, but come quickly, Lord Jesus. The fulfillment of God's promises can be sweet to us. They can be hard and bitter to us as well. As John is caught up in the Spirit, in verse 2, at once I was in the Spirit. Uh, By the way, he doesn't tell us what it means to be in the Spirit. He doesn't tell us how it happens other than the Spirit does something. And so when people say today, I was in the Spirit, we're not told how that happens. Uh, Our assumption has to be that God does something to cause that to be. We're never told what what it looks like, what it feels like. We're never told how to cause it to be. John is in the Spirit, and his attention is immediately captured. Behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. The throne's in the very center of heaven. And the language here uh, is, is really key. Okay, so let me, let me step out of this just, just for a second. This is a vision. John is not physically caught up to heaven. This is a vision. Um, I hope I don't offend anybody. I don't think there's a throne there because God is spirit. Spirit doesn't need a chair. God is spirit. God is omnipresent. He's equally everywhere at at the same time. For the sake of, of John understanding who he's dealing with and for us to understand the majesty and the glory of God, the throne is depicted but I don't know that there's actually a physical throne in heaven. Right? God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit obviously is spirit. There's an emerald, emerald throne around, or an emerald rainbow around the throne. There are 24 thrones occupied 24, by 24 elders around the throne. There are seven torches of fire and a sea of glass before the throne, which is is not the typical Greek word that would mean in front of. It's the word that means in the sight of. So there are seven torches of fire and a sea of glass in the sight of the throne, which could still be around the throne. And there are four living creatures around the throne. The throne and the one seated on it is, is the focus of John's attention. He is completely captured by it. Every eye is on the one seated on the throne, on his glory. The, the lightning that comes, the flashes of lightning, the peals of thunder, the rumbles of thunder, the, uh, the, the brilliance of the stones that are there, all of that points to the glory of this being who we know is God Almighty because we can see past the... The, uh, we, we can see past this verse. We've read that. But John doesn't describe God as a recognizable being. He doesn't say, there I was and there was a throne and there was a man sitting on the throne. He talks about the one sitting on the throne, but how does he describe him? He who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. So he, he gives this this uh, incredible picture. I'm going to skip a picture or two. Oop, went too far. This is jasper. It's a really cool looking stone. Multiple colors. It's a, it's a form of quartz. 
And this is carnelian. Carnelian is semi-translucent. It's, uh, it runs from yellow to orange to red. Hmm? It kind of has got that amber kind of look to it. Uh, but if, even if you look at the, the, uh, the jasper, the, the core of it is red. So you've got this enormous glow taking place. He doesn't say, I saw a statue of a man made out of this. The form is like. So what John is saying is, I don't know how to describe it, except to say that it looks like jasper stone and carnelian. There's no other way to, for me to describe it. This is not a recognizable person. Is heaven exactly like this vision? Well, it's a vision. Is heaven exactly like this? I don't know. I don't know. It's a vision. What I know is that because it's a vision, heaven is not less than this. Heaven is more than this. John's describing what he sees. He sees what the Holy Spirit is governing for him to see to be able to describe for us. And he's... he's, Yeah, well, and that's why... That's a good point. Grace just said he's also describing something unearthly in, in earthly terms. God is spirit. Nobody can see God because God is spirit. Here God has an appearance of jasper and carnelian. That's not because in the spirit God looks like jasper and carnelian. God does this so that John has something. Otherwise you'd go to heaven and with our eyes we would see nothing because we can't see spirit. So that's a good point. It's a vision. Heaven is not less than this. Heaven is certainly more than this. Now, those first couple of pictures I showed you, this is New York City. If you've never seen New York City, this is New York City. Um, got Manhattan up here. You've got Brooklyn and the Bronx here. Stat- uh, Long Island is what continues out that way. Harlem is up here. Central Park, you can kind of make out the long rectangle. That's New York City. Now, and parts of New Jersey which I don't know if that's part of the United States or not, according to New Yorkers, but there it is. is. Is that an accurate picture of New York City? Well, of course it is. It's taken from 10 miles up, but it's, it's accurate. New York City is not going to be not that, right? But is New York City more than that? Could somebody only experience that of New York City and say, I understand New York City? No. But they could describe this and be accurate. This is a shot of Central Park. Still New York City. Now we've zoomed in down to the human level, down to the personal level. This is also New York City. Now you've got much more context. But somebody who says this is New York City still doesn't really understand New York City. But there's nothing in the picture that's not New York. Well, John is being given a picture of heaven from 10 miles up. And then he's describing what he sees. So that we might have a sense of the glory and the wonder and the majesty and the splendor of God. What we will one day see, not in a vision but truly is not less than what John describes. It's more. But what John describes is not inaccurate either. What John describes is what the Lord wants us to understand 
the rainbow that has the appearance of the of an emerald it seems is I, I just kind of think that's like I don't know the northern lights that there's this light emanating from the throne of God so what do we have we have John being absolutely transfixed by this being on the throne who is filled with color with light there's lightning flashing there are peals of thunder it's interesting peals of thunder is that crash rumbles of thunder in the distance heaven's a big place there's enough room for an echo It just seems like it's this continuous roar. And, and I don't know what that is. See, that's part of the, the, the vision of it is that we're not given every explanation. I do have a theory on that, though. I'll share this with you. There's lightning, and then there's thunder. And then he says, the four living creatures cry out, holy, holy, holy. And the 24 elders cry out, worthy are you. And I wonder if the lightning, thunder, holy, 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 worthy are you, is kind of this parallel idea that the declaration of God's holiness is always matched by worship in heaven. Around the throne are 24 thrones. Seated on the thrones are 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. We're going to deal with the 24 elders and the living creatures next week or the week after. So in verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire. Those torches of fire are described as the Holy Spirit. That idea of seven torches comes from Zechariah chapter 4 where the Holy Spirit is described as seven lamps. And seven eyes. Light reveals, eyes see. The Holy Spirit is all about vision and understanding. So, again, to kind of back up and and take an overview of this, John is caught up into heaven. He sees the invisible God in a form that he can understand, although this is not what God is like. God manifests himself in some way that John can perceive. The torches that are the the seven spirits of God. It's the Holy Spirit of God. You you can't see the Holy Spirit. You can't see the Holy Spirit. But it's important that John know and that we know that the Holy Spirit is present in the throne room with the Father. We don't yet see Jesus. We'll see him in chapter 5. John is completely fixated on, on this image and the sound. It is filling his mind. It is filling his imagination. He is absolutely riveted by all of this. And it's wonderful to behold. Descriptions of the throne. There are thrones that are described in Scripture. The throne of God is described in Scripture. Rather, Psalm 48 says God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne Jeremiah 17:12 says a glorious throne is set on high from the be- or a glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. Psalm 45:6 says your throne O God is forever and ever. And we understand there that throne is is being uh, used as a reference to God himself. 
It's not that God can get up off of his throne and move and the throne goes on. The throne of God is holy and therefore God himself is holy. The throne of God is our sanctuary. God himself is our sanctuary. The throne of God is forever and ever. God is eternal. That's interesting. With the idea of the sanctuary, a glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. God's throne, God himself is glorious. God's throne, God himself is our sanctuary. Revelation twenty-one twenty-two says, John says, I saw no temple in the new city, Jerusalem, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. So God is not simply our sanctuary in terms of a place to hide and a place to find relief. God is literally the sanctuary in heaven. Everything centers around his being. Everything focuses on him. And John is there. John is there. Seeing, hearing, experiencing, almost overwhelmed. He has to be almost overwhelmed. Jesus didn't give John an outline at the beginning of this vision and say, okay, first thing, I'm going to give you seven letters. Then I'm going to take you to heaven to see a vision. Then we're going to see these judgments unfold so you're ready to start. It just happens. John has a vision of Jesus. Jesus says, write seven letters. Okay, And then all of a sudden there's a door open in heaven. A voice calls up, come up here. The Holy Spirit captures him. There's no preparation for this. There's no preparation for this. Isaiah, when he stood in that similar spot, mourned his sin. Because he knew that he didn't belong. Jesus says in Matthew 25, 41, that hell was not made for man, but for the devil and his angels. Nevertheless, we know the wicked will be imprisoned in hell forever. Heaven was not made for man. Heaven is made for God and his angels. Nevertheless, we will spend eternity with the Lord. Whether we spend that eternity on the new earth or in the new heaven or back and forth or both, doesn't matter as long as I'm with him. Hell wasn't made for us. It was made for Satan. The wicked will go there. Heaven was not made for us. It was made for God. But we will be there. We will be with him. I am so aware right now of how thin my words are. I am so aware of my own inability to understand this and my inability to communicate it. I just, I can only pray that the Lord opens our hearts to get a sense of how, how holy this place is and how much we lost it because of our sin and how it has been opened to us because of what Jesus Christ did. Because the Son of God left this place to come to be born as a man, to die on the cross, 
so that we might be with him forever where he is. A door stood open in heaven. That door, for lack of a better term, that door is propped open by the gospel. I don't believe anybody can believe in Jesus Christ without a work of God to give them faith, but the offer is there. And the gospel is there for all who will believe. And the door is open into heaven. Jesus has made a way for us into the very throne room of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's that throne. How do you and I as sinners draw near to that throne? It's only by the grace of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The Lord still calls his people upward as John was called, not for the sake of a vision, but upward to worship the Father, to wonder at him and to delight in him and to find in the Father the object of our affections. In Jesus, absolutely, God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That Jesus came to live in utter obedience to the Father and to glorify the Father, and the Father glorifies the Son, and the Spirit glorifies both. One of those interesting things of our times, and the church goes through times and seasons, just like individuals do, is that many in the church have forgotten the Father. Jesus, when he teaches his disciples to pray, doesn't say, pray like this, Lord Jesus. He says, pray like this, our Father in heaven. We don't demean Jesus by praying to the Father. We don't demean the Father by praying to Jesus. He says to do that too. But we need to remember that we have a Father who sent his Son for us. God is still as unknowable and mysterious and indescribable as John experienced. Jesus says to his disciples in the upper room, you remember in John chapter 14, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you don't recognize me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We know what God is like because of the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit still opens eyes and hearts, still illuminates the word of God as we read and study, still reveals the voice of God in the word. We're not going to have the same vision that John had, but we have access to the same throne. We can come boldly before that throne. We should never come casually before that throne, but we can come boldly before that throne. We're loved by the same Father. We're saved by the same Savior. We are taught and filled by the same Spirit. And you know, one day every single saint, and we see this later on in the book of Revelation, in the multitude from every tongue, tribe, nation, and kindred, one day every single saint, every person who's been born again through the finished work of Christ on the cross, justified by faith in Jesus, will stand in heaven and see this not less than what John saw, more. John hasn't seen the actual yet. He had a vision. John saw the overhead shot from 10 miles. He saw the snapshots. He's not yet dwelt there. We'll dwell there. 
with our Lord. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you that your final season of judgment begins with your holiness and with your glory. We long to have the kind of experience John had. We long to be with you. I praise your name that John wrote down what you gave him to write. And so while John experienced it, we know it as well as he did. We thank you, Lord, that the promise and the reality is there that one day every single person who calls on Jesus Christ will stand maybe right where John stood. We'll see the glory of the Father as he reveals it to us. we will hear the angels crying out your holiness. And Lord, we, like those 24 elders, are going to respond with praise and honor toward you. Heaven is your place. It's all about you. So strange, Lord, that so many of the people who claim to have been to heaven often say that they didn't see you for a long time. That's not possible. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder that Jesus is the forerunner who has gone to the throne and is seated there with you and is interceding for us right now. It's precious to us. Grant us your faith. Grant us your favor, Lord. Bless us with greater understanding. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.